Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. We have been in existence for now 12 wonderful, marvelous, spectacular years, providing support, information, and resources to individuals and their families who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. The many, many different symptoms that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, and each person clearly is unique in how those symptoms are manifested. However, there is one set of symptoms that tends to be pretty dominant among many people, and that has to be issues with balance and issues with falls. I have a guest today who has some marvelous information to provide for individuals who confront these two types of issues as well as other symptoms. Michael Pratzel, I want to thank you for taking the time out today to be a guest on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. And the one thing I have to do, everyone, is I've got to click Michael in <laughs> so that oh. we can all hear him. And Michael, thank you for being a guest on the show. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to sharing what I know. So tell us all about yourself and your background. Well, um, I was born in 1950, right in the middle of the 20th century, and so uh, lived through the marvelous 50s and 60s. Um, but I had a lot of trouble during the 50s and 60s with my body. Um, you know, before I was 10 years old, I had a incredibly swollen left knee. Um, and by my mid-teens, I was experiencing a lot of back spasms and hip spasms. I was in traction when I was 17 for a, for a really jammed hip. Uh, I finally blew out my knee when I was 20 and had major reconstructive surgery. They didn't have arthroscopic surgery in those days. Uh, in my, you know, I was an active child. I loved sports and played a lot of sports, but in my mid-20s, I, I had to give up playing sports. Uh, my body could not tolerate the strain. Um, then by age 30... I couldn't even really get through a day of office work without a lot of neck pain and back pain and finally found the Alexander Technique as uh, a way to try to correct some of these issues. And um, the Alexander Technique focuses on this idea that many of our movements, our everyday movements, are controlled subconsciously. And, and their habits. We have a lot of motor habits that, that, and when they're controlled subconsciously, we don't really feel what's happening. We get used to them. They feel right to us. And so we don't really even know they exist. And so even though I had all these injuries throughout my whole life, I really had no idea why and what it was. I thought I was just kind of injury prone, but I found out that I was actually bringing a lot of these injuries upon myself. Um, and, uh, so once I found the Alexander technique at age 30, I started improving and, um, I decided to become a teacher just to even, just to get more immersed in the study of my own habits, motor habits. And, um, and of course, motor habits are connected with the mind, of course, because they're, they're, they involve our sensory appreciation. Um, so it's very much a mind-body thing. Um, 
so I got better, but then I got a little overconfident and I went back to playing sports in my mid-30s. So actually, I played in a softball league one summer in my mid-30s and that was not good for my back. Uh, totally blew my back out and really had, for the next five, seven years, really had to work hard to to stay healthy. But then in my early 40s, I noticed something in my, in my awareness. I noticed something that I was doing that I had not been aware of before and that was really not part of the Alexander technique. I noticed that I wasn't sending my body straight down to earth, that I was doing, actually doing a Tai Chi exercise that required me use generating power through each leg alternately. And I had no problem with my right leg, but when it came to my left leg, I couldn't, and that's where I had my knee injury, I couldn't move it. I couldn't really generate any power through that leg. And I noticed that I was falling out to the side and backwards, and that my leg was stiff. And all of a sudden, I just had this insight that this was a major factor, and that that my left knee you know, was a problem from early childhood. And uh, all of a sudden, all my injuries—my left knee, my right hip, my back—they all started to make sense. And so that was 20 over 20 years ago. And I've been studying the effect on our bodies of not sending our our body mass straight down to earth, because. As young children, when we're born, we all inherit this incredible uprighting capacity to lift ourselves into verticality, something that has evolved over millions of years, um, and that in the first year of life, we all learn how to do this without being taught by anyone else, and that um, we do it beautifully, uh, but then we lose it. And... Uh, um, so, uh, and the key I have, I have found, the key to recovering it is to learn how we are not falling straight down, but falling in some other direction that we command. And um, so, Robert, maybe I should mention this, this article that I, that I have written and, and prepared for this interview, because this article contains a lot of pictures and if people could could access this now on their computers, or uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, maybe I should give the website now where this article is because I can refer to some pictures on it. Great, please do. Okay, so this article I wrote specifically for this interview is at my website is www.uprighting.com. So it's just like the word upright with just I-N-G at the end. And I use that to show that uprighting is an active thing, that it's something we're actually doing. We might not be aware of it. We might take it for granted. But it's, and that's why we generally do it poorly. But it's something we're doing. So it's www.uprighting.com slash parkinsons.pdf. Um, do you think that's clear enough, Robert? Do I think I need uh, to yeah, spell yeah, that? Yeah, I'm I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. People can go to that website address, and then you'll be able to download. It's a PDF, so it's safe to download, and then you'll be able to look at that as Michael describes what he's about to describe. Right. Um, um, okay. So 
let me just let's just wait a, a few seconds. Maybe people can get access to this thing before I refer to any um, any of the images and ideas there. I mean, one thing I can say is that you know back the early early Homo sapiens, or you know, I don't know, that's thousands and thousands of years ago, and even predecessor predecessor species. They all had to, you know, they were developing this uprighting ability and this, this ability to use their own body mass as an energy source to lift themselves up. And it's amazing. It's an amazing source of energy because it's clean and it's always there. And we really, everybody knows how to use it because we all were infants and toddlers and we've all learned it. Uh, you know, only, only seriously damaged infants would not, would not, be able to access this, and that um, one of the things about uprighting is, you know, I've 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 had success with several Parkinson's uh, students, but I'm an ex not an expert in Parkinson's disease. I'm an I'm an expert in uprighting, and um, one of the things about uprighting is is that it's that signaling is very important in uprighting. It's very, very, very important. And that that um, it's clear with Parkinson's people that this lack of dopamine creates a signaling problem in their brain, and signaling is very important to uprighting. Now, way back when, early, early Homo sapiens, before we could even speak, um, we knew how, to, knew how to upright really well. And part of it they they walked on a planet, you know, on the Earth. There weren't paved streets. There weren't flat floors. So the, the so the uh, so the ground was very bumpy, um, and so this our ability to upright had to take this into account that we were going to get some bumps in the road, and that when we had some bumps in the road. We had to protect ourselves against falling on our heads. If we were, if every time we hit a bump on the road we fell, we, you know, our life expectancy would have been a lot shorter. So we, so we have this self-correcting mechanism, but it de- highly depends on signals, on 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 the brain picking up a signal that oh, this person's tilting, this person, you know, he hit a bump in the road, he's falling to the left, or he's falling too far forward, and this signal generates a near immediate response. Um, uh, it, it recognizes the, the signals, the brain can recognize the signals and can respond so that the, a person can stay upright. Um, and that the unfortunate thing in modern day is that there is a tremendous over-reliance on, on signaling because since we don't fall straight down anymore, well, let, let me back up a little. Let's go to the document now for the people who might have accessed it. And on page one, there's a couple of, there's the title page and the table of contents. But on page one, I show pictures of animals up top, you know, beautiful animals doing their thing, you know, just act, you know, just moving as their species move. And then on the bottom, I show infants sitting and standing and, and walking and they're also beautiful because human beings inherit the same system, that, or, or not the same system, but a system for our species. Um, but then if you go to page two, you see what 
happens in the transition from infancy to five years old. Something dramatically happens. We see on page two these infants sitting and standing beautifully, and then by the time they're five years old, they're not so not so not so doing it so well anymore. Um, and so you can see there's a lot of strain, there's a lot of skeletal distortion. Um, and so why is that? Um, well, when I first discovered myself, and I call this miscommitting body weight, when we don't commit it straight down, when we don't let gravity take us straight down, I call that a miscommitment of body weight. And that, um, so when I first discovered it in, my, in myself, I was standing. And, and all my injuries really came from, from when I was standing and running, all my sports activities that I was doing with bad coordination it stemmed from that. But it wasn't too long into my study of this uh, phenomena, these phenomena, that I realized that in the act of normal sitting, what's, what, what the society considers to be the most normal of activities, everybody, everybody sits back into chairs and sofas, all the time. And when we're doing that, we're actually throwing our body mass way backwards. We're miscommitting it way backwards. More, we're miscommitting it far worse in sitting, in normal sitting, than we can ever do standing. We could never, only, only somebody who really does the limbo dance, and I know I'm dating myself back a long time, <laughs> uh, um, but only in the limbo, and people who are very good at a limbo, they can send their weight way backwards and, and still do it. But that's quite amazing. So if you look to page three of this little document that I show, I show these two skeletons on the top. And if you look at these two skeletons at the top of this document, you can see that, that there's no structural, anatomical structure behind the sit bones or the ischial tuberosities. I've got this green circle between, uh, around the, 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 the pelvis the, uh, that are on the stool and then the feet there. Well, this is, this is the only mechanism we have. And now the little infants on the other pages, they had their legs in front of them. So it, it, it doesn't matter. The feet don't have to be on the ground. But all of our support is directly underneath and in front of us. So this... This notion that we somehow got that it was okay to throw our weight backwards and sitting, I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I think initially it came up, it was a, um, it was a uh, status thing, that the kings, you know, former kings, I think this is how thrones and that's how seating first originated with thrones, I believe. Um, but it's clear on this page, if you see, when we throw our weight back, well, the brain knows that we don't want to be like this skeleton in the middle looking up at the ceiling. We still want to be functioning. So when people throw their weights back uh, and, and the brain gets this idea that, oh, we're going back, some, something has to be done if I want to keep this person functional with their head and neck still vertical, there ha this is a signal that something has to be done. And what has to be done is there's got to be a lot of muscle tension and a lot of skeletal distortion in order to stay functional while you're throwing your weight backwards. And so these two pictures of, these of this young girl with the way her skeleton actually looks underneath the, these normal sitting postures. Um, so then if you look at page four, you know, by the way, this is background. This has, I'm, getting to, I'm going to get to how it affects Parkinson's 
Um, but this is important to understand that 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 by throwing by not recognizing that we've lost our innate upbringing ability, and that's what happens when, like, when we're five years old. We don't think to ourselves, oh, gee, I used to be able to sit so well and stand so well and now look at me. No, nobody's thinking that. We don't even know we've made a transition from this innate, this incredible innate uh, uh, state and ability to this uh, horrible, kind of horrible. I basically, it's going from the sublime to the ridiculous in a certain way. Um, And that, um, so we don't even know this. So on page four, You'll just see there's a bunch of pictures of people sit, sitting back, and it's the most comfortable. They have no sense that anything could is possibly wrong. I mean, they're young. Most of the, a lot of them are young, and so their bodies are very supple and flexible, and their heads are still head and neck are still upright, and so they're basically functioning well. But there's one problem about this: when people are leaning back and they're anchored back into that back of the chair. The only part that is upright is the part above that, the neck and the head. And because the body is so anchored into the chair, they really don't have any responsibility to keep the head. They don't have to really do anything to keep the head and neck functional. There is no way with the body so anchored back against the chair that they could do anything wrong. They couldn't drop their head hard enough forward that they could pull themselves off the back of the chair. It's impossible. So they, they don't have to really take any responsibility for uprighting their neck and head. It just, there's, no, there's nowhere else their head and neck can be. So this presents a very big problem. If you look at the bottom of the page four, when we have to sit at a table to eat or sit at a desk to write or sit like that boy by the lake just sitting without any support. We don't know how to support the upper part of our body because when we're leaning back, we don't have to support it. It's just hanging there and there's nowhere for it to go. But when we have to go down to a table or go down to a desk, we don't have any idea how to do it because um, uh, we've lost the ability because um, we don't know how to use our body mass. And, and, and to do it well involves, you know, it requires the, 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 the proper use of our body mass. So on the bottom of page four, all the way to the right, you see uh, this young woman sitting up straight, but she's actually yanking herself up straight and uh, employing a lot of effort. And so, every, you know, I think we've all had the experience of our parents telling us to sit up straight. Now, of course, when our parents told us that, we basically did we followed orders and sat up straight, um, but we never considered the fact that our parents didn't know how to sit up straight either. I mean, they were giving us the advice to sit up straight, but they didn't know how to do it either. And so we sit up straight and we yank ourselves up, but we can't, that can't be sustained. That's much too much effort to be sustained, and, and so as soon as we tire, we go back to the back of the chair. Okay, so now we're going to go to page five. Robert, do you have anything to add? I know that I'm just talking nonstop here. Is there anything that you'd like to, you know, you can stop me at any time if, oh, you, if no, something I'm needs fa- clarification. I'm, I'm fascinated by your uh, explanation of your presentation. I have to confess, Michael, that as you've been talking, I've been very sensitive to all the restrictions that I have in my own body as I sit here in a chair listening to your presentation. <laughs> I've had uh, lots of criticisms of body workers uh, of how I, of my own posture and how I tend to slump down. And a lot of people have said, well, you've got to hold your shoulders back uh, in order yeah. to be able to have better posture. So they're always telling me 
be more sensitive and attentive to your posture if you want to be able to uh, reduce the problems that you might have with hips and knees. Yeah. Well, you know, from my experience, everybody thinks they have bad posture um, and that other and that there are some people out there with good posture. I hate to say this, but I don't think there's anybody out there with good posture because <laughs> you can't throw your you can't the only way good posture can be brought into practice is by letting yourself fall straight down. This this is this is the way our innate uprighting system that's evolved over millions of years. This is the way it works. It's a, it's a, it's an absolute necessary ingredient. And since we've all lost that at a very young age without even being aware that we've lost it, there's a problem. And and page 5 really describes it. So when I go to page 5 where I talk about going against millions of years of evolution. And if you look at this little chart on the very top of the species, sort of a, a, a quick evolution of the species chart, you know, we started out as horizontal, as fish and as reptiles, basically as horizontal creatures. And over thousands, if not millions of years, we've developed the ability to lift the front part of our body mass, the front, um, and that Eventually, as human beings, we lift the entire front. We can come completely off our front arms and can be completely supported 100% by, by the hind legs, which enable our uh, front legs to become hands and manipulate objects the way only human beings can do, and enables our head to get up as high as it can possibly get. But this comes from the ability to lift front body mass um, and to actually start to get this front body mass to, to get it to direct it back into our hind legs to power those legs to be able to lift us. Okay, so you see this little silhouette chart of, uh, of the, just the, the, the species immediately preceding human beings and you can see how they've evolved and then and this funny chart it has, shows the guy leaning back um, at, at, at the end. So when he's leaning back, well, here he's if you can see his hip joint and you can look at the skeletons and all these people where their hip joints are, um, it's basically right by where the sit bones are on the little skeletons. Well, we position, when we sit back, we position all our body mass completely behind the sit bones. In evolutionary times, we, all of our body, our body mass above the hip joints were in front, not in back. They're in front. And so by positioning them in the back and, and coming into verticality from back there, we've got to use completely different muscles than the muscles that have evolved to do it. This is why people have bad posture, um, because they've got to use muscles that, are not, that have not evolved for the task. Um, and, and, I, and I have these, I show these two pictures. I basically say when we sit back, we have two curves. There's the lower curve when we send our lower body backwards, and the upper curve has to come forward. And to lift ourselves out of these curves requires the use of these muscles that I have on the bottom of page five. And the one on the left, which is a deep core muscle, I mean, people like to refer to the abdominals as core muscles, but this, this is a deep muscle. This is well deeper than the, uh, the iliopsoas muscle. This is well deeper than the abdominals. It goes from the very upper part of the thigh deep into the pelvis and, 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 and attaches to the, to the lower vertebrae. And we have one on both sides. And this is a, this is a 
this is a emergency muscle. So if we're walking down, if we're walking on 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 a on a field and we hit a bump in the road and all of a sudden we're we're jarred backwards, well, this muscle is holding our spine to the leg. It's keeping this. If we fell, if we didn't have this muscle, we were going to just fall backwards on our head. So by positioning ourselves backwards on a chair, we need to employ this muscle constantly. So if you look at the little skeleton and that lady on the right, you can see that, that the, the upper part's going back, right? So this person is pulling their just what you said. He's pulling his chest and his shoulders back and pulling the, the lower part of, this, of his body forward. Well, this cannot be sustained. So whoever gave you that advice to do that, I wouldn't listen. take that advice seriously because that cannot be sustained. Uh, I haven't been and, able to do it. <laughs> right. So, okay, well, that's right. You, uh, you can't do it. And so, um, okay, so, so by, by we set ourselves up by throwing our weight back to always be struggling to maintain uprightness. And since we, got to, we, we lost connection at a very young age between how we go down and how we go up, there's, there's a direct linkage, but we, since sitting back is so normal, we don't really feel anything strange, and this is very consonant with the Alexander Technique. Nobody questions sitting back. We don't feel any strain, not at that young age, completely functional, and other than to be criticized and told to sit up straight occasionally, that's really the only consequence in sitting. But then when we stand up, since we've lo- and start to walk or stand, we, we've lost the connection between going down and going up. And so it doesn't just immediately emerge. We're sending our weight so far back in sitting that that's a te- once we stand up, this is a tendency as well um, to uh, uh, to 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 send our weight backwards. And you, I think um, if we if we went to now page, let's see what page is this? Um, page nine. If you look at page nine with this woman at the top, I mean she's got if, typical standing. I call them common standing habits. The one in the middle where she's standing on her left leg, and, and she's, this is not even an extreme example. People will stand on one leg. So she's sending her weight way back and to the left. This is just what I discovered. This is what I noticed in myself. And that leg has to stiffen. So she, when, when we're standing or walking and we don't commit our weight straight down, there's signals. There's visual signals. There's signals from the visual system, signals the brain. The vestibular system signals the brain. The proprioception system at the joints, noticing pressure at the joints. All these signals are sent to the brain, and the brain processes these signals immediately because it's happening immediately and we have to we have to correct immediately there's not a lot of time so these signals are very very important and in the modern day and age even though we spend so much time on perfectly flat floors and uh uh, uh and on sidewalks that are flat as opposed to what the earth is really shaped like we've really got conditions ideal conditions now to, to, to really get the most out of our uprighting ability because we're on, on such straight ground most of the time. And so now on page nine, if you look at the very bottom right, 
you see this little baby um, standing in front of the Roman Colosseum, and you can see that the ground is tilted, but he has no problem finding incredibly straight vertical. In spite of the tilted ground, you can see this little baby is going straight up. Now, to his right, it's the same person at age 22. It happens to be my partner's son. And so I was able to get this picture as an infant and at 22. And here he is at 22. He's standing on a tile, a, 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 a tile floor perfectly straight, and he still can't find straight down because he's, he's sending his way back and, and to the right onto that back leg. Um, okay, so... Um, We've got this self-correction system, and so by over by relying too much by relying on this system as a normal system, it's really designed for emergencies. But we're using it all the time, so that means from from a young age. So everybody's got their ways of miscommitting their weight and their ways of correcting for that and holding on, and all's well and good until it either hurts. The knee hurts, the hip hurts, the back hurts. But with Parkinson's, it's different because all of a sudden, these signals, the brain can't process these signals. That 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 um, there's too there's too much there's too much to process, and so um, we lose this self-correcting ability that we've been over-relying on um, uh, because Parkinson's people are just like regular people. They're sitting back and they, 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 they don't know how to fall straight down and, and don't even remember when they were one and two and using this innate system. So they have been very reliant uh, on, uh, on this self-correcting ability that we have, but now they're losing this self-correcting ability. And so, you know, one of the, the, the main re- one of the, there's two main reasons for the self-correction. One is to keep a functional head and neck to, to be, so you can still look straight ahead and so you're not tilted and looking at the world so you're tilted. But even a, a deeper survival-based uh, reason for our self-correction is so that our heads don't slam into the ground. I mean, if we started f- falling off, you know, we... I just want to draw your attention now to page eight. So, uh, or, yeah, page eight, where you can look at the foot. And this might be hard to see, but we balance. People are, are a little bit confused about where we balance. We tend to think we balance on the feet. But clearly we bear our weight on the feet. That's the only thing we have. But we really balance on the very top foot bone. Most people do not know what the foot is shaped like, what it looks like, how it functions. But if you can see this little green arrow, um, um, and it's called the talus. It's, it's right under the leg, under the tibia, the big leg bone. If you can see these, these pictures of the feet and the lower leg, this big leg bone comes down right on the talus. The small little thing, it's like two or three inches in diameter. It's a three-inch diameter bone. And here we've got 100 to 200 pounds coming straight down on it, ideally. But if it doesn't come straight down, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, oh, this person's going to be in trouble um, and is going to need some, uh, some assistance. So 
we tend to fall to the outside because if we fell to the inside, we would just get to the other foot. You know, so we don't fall to the inside. We tend to fall to the outside of either foot. And when we do, we end up bearing weight on the smaller toes. Um, the, the stronger, the strong part of our foot is the inside of our foot, and you can see from this picture of the of the skeleton of the foot, lower leg, and you can see that the balance point is way to the inside of the heel, that it's not straight down. You know, we don't have we don't come straight down onto the foot. the The, the heel is rounded. Our shoes might be flat, but our heel isn't flat. Our heel is rounded, and when the weight comes straight down, you can see it's going to rock. It's going to rock the the heel to the inside, to the strong part of the foot. The beauty of it. This is a finely tuned, highly evolved system, and so when we go to the outside, uh, we're still standing on the foot, but we're on the small toes, and that means the leg muscles have to really be working overtime to lock the leg because if we didn't lock the if we're falling out to the side and we don't lock the leg our head's going to be hitting the ground pretty soon uh so we protect against that uh we don't we don't have to protect against it we have a self-correcting mechanism but what's with parkinson's and this self the the signals can't be processed quickly enough we need a backup. We need a backup, backup. And this backup, backup, because um, the brain knows that, that this, this correct self-correcting mechanism is compromised. The brain knows that it, it, it's not, it can't do it anymore. And so it's got to impose really stricter controls. It can't, since this person who's inhabiting the brain, who's all around the brain, is used to sending their weight down, not straight down, but can't correct for that. This brain has to impose a lot of, lot of, <laughs> lot of containment. So, and, and so, this is so. There's this really strong containment, which can come to freezing, and then when it's let go, there's this, uh, uh, this. I guess that's a new word that I learned. This festination, where where you, if you let the holding go that's holding you straight, remember that when we fall backwards, we have to bring the, the upper body forward so that, and when we walk, we're inclined to send the upper, body to, the upper body too far forward. So when somebody without a self-correcting function, somebody with Parkinson's, lets go so that they can move, this forward, this forward weight miscommitment starts to drive them much too far forward too fast, and they don't pick up the signals fast enough. If someone picked up the signals, they would know that the balls of the big toe are, are there, and they're a stopping device. That, so when I work with people, I, I train them to start seeing, seeing the st structures of the foot as a stopping device and a slowdown device. And so one of the things about learning to fall straight down again is that if, if someone with Parkinson's can learn to fall straight down again, then they're going to be tapping into this very, very old system that doesn't require as much signaling. When you're falling straight down, this is a very old system. You know, the brain and the body, you know, it, it predates human beings, homo sapiens. It, it, it's just very, very old and, and very finely tuned. So 
It doesn't require self-correction. We only require self-correction when we deviate from that, and that's what involves the signaling in the brain. But if we can fall straight down, then we don't need as much signaling. Then we're really tapping into this thing and this really age-old thing, and we and that by doing this, we become more sensitive to the weight-bearing sensations, and we can see that if we go to the go to the outside, fall to the outside, we're going to bear weight on the small toes. But if we go straight down, it's going to be more on the inside between the heel, the, the heel and the big toe. And these, this is our safety zone where we're really safe. If we can, if we can keep our weight between, if we're standing on two legs and we've got two heels and two balls of the big toes, we've got four points. And if we can stay between those four points. Um, we're secure, uh, and that so this destination thing where people let go and they start to go too far forward too fast. People who do that, they pass right over the balls of the big toe without even noticing them. And one of the things about sitting back and it, sitting back is is that when we sit back, we go away from the front points. Whether we've got our legs on the ground, as as an infant would have his legs on the ground when he's sitting, or if we're sitting on a stool and we have our feet on the ground, once we go backwards, we lose contact. We don't have, you know, we don't need, as far as we're concerned, we don't need these front points to to, to stay upright. But to do it well, we do. We need the heel and the ball. We need to stay between the heel and the ball. This is our safety zone, these four points. Um, okay, so I think I'll take a breath now. And uh, uh, is there, does that make sense? Does this all make makes, sense? Is, is there any Michael, it, a, a beautiful explanation of exactly what we need to pay attention to. If a person were to look at the heels on their shoes, would it be the case if there was a lot of wearing on the outside of the it heels? It was. You know, when I was like 20 years old, and when I, you know, in like in 1970, and sort of cowboy boots were in then, and so I had these like leather cowboy boots, and I would look at them, and I would see the outside of the heel worn out so bad. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was like there was almost nothing there while the inside was really big and thick. And so, you know, at that point, I had no idea of anything. I didn't know what it was about. I mean, you know, that that I knew I had problems with my body. I knew that. In fact, my friends back used to tell me that they could see it was me from a mile away just by the way I was walking. Um, but when I looked at those shoes back when I was around 20, I had no idea. I had no idea how that how that had happened, but that's exactly right. So you see if those outside and it, it's invariable. You know, I think almost everybody will see the outside of their heels worn out more um because I'm not making it up. We've lost the ability to fall straight down, and, and that 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 we've been conditioned. Like it's nobody's fault. Like here we are when we're one year old and we're sitting beautifully and standing beautifully. We're still watching everybody around us in the society, and everybody's sitting back. Everybody and nobody, and it's the most normal. So how could we not be conditioned to accept that as normal? And so. Uh, we do, and it's nobody's fault, but it's a problem. And that you know, with Parkinson's, it becomes it becomes a major, major problem. Like with 
people without Parkinson's, okay, they have bad posture, you know, maybe they have a knee injury or a hip injury or a back injury, and maybe they do need a hip replacement or a knee replacement. But these are gradual things that happen over time, and that they can still basically function. But with Parkinson's disease and the signaling problem that, that makes this self-correction impossible, um, it's, you know, it's a much more, it's a much more debilitating, the consequences are much more debilitating and immediate um, and, 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 and involve, um, you know, loss of, you know, also just being able to conduct a normal day, you know, on, on. and so um, I know your site emphasizes mindfulness and so, and stress reduction, um, and that, so learning, you know, being mindful to witness. So, so my recommendation is not to really try to fall straight down, because it's easy to hold ourselves in a straight position, and that they, we need to let go a little bit and see where we're actually going. In order to go straight down, we really need to see where we're actually going now. because And we need to be able to see it clearly enough that it, we can change it. Um, it. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. And that, um, so if any of your, the listeners are interested in this topic and, and have questions, uh, you know, I'd be more than happy, you know, to, to get emails from people and, and to have email exchanges and even phone conversations if that seems warranted. Uh, so maybe I should uh, make sure to give people my email address because I forgot to put it on this document. But I am going to put it on this document tomorrow for people who get it after tomorrow, but it's not on this document right now. Um, and my email address is Simply www. Oh no, Michael Protzel, just my name, no spaces, no capital letters. Michael Protzel at uprighting. dot com. So that's my email address, and I'd be more than happy to to uh, to hear from anybody. And so Michael spells his name M I C H A E L P R O. T-Z-E-L. Right, I'm let me spell Robert that Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery, and you are listening to my interview with Michael Protzel, who is a teacher of teachers of the Alexander Technique from New York City. So, you know, Robert, um, let me just spell my name again because I've had to spell it so many times. I, you know, I know people can confuse P's and T's. So it's P is in Peter, R-O-T is in Thomas, Z is in zebra, E-L. And then if you could spell uprighting.com for people as well, please. That would be you, P is in Peter, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com. Now, as we've been talking, I'm guessing that some listeners have been looking at the bottoms of their heels on their shoes, and they've noticed, <laughs> hmm, looks like uh, this is a problem for me, too. What specific suggestions do you have for them of how they might be mobile in a different way? Okay. Um, what I would say is if people notice that their heels are worn out on the outside, this is a clear signal that that's what they're falling to that outside. And so this is a habit and that it's not noticed. 
Um, and so what needs to be done is it needs to be noticed. And so if someone's standing on two feet and, you know, and that these kinds of experiments can be done in a situation where you've got some security around you, something to hold on to if you need to, but this person needs to start to witness himself falling out to the side there. So they need to let themselves go a little bit, let the grabbing in the legs go, and so they actually fall out back back and to the side where they see the shoes. It could be both sides. People tend to have one favorite side to go back to, even though I, I have one favorite backside, but, I, but I'm, I'm comfortable going to either side, and I'm sure everybody's comfortable going to either side too, but probably people have a dominant side that they tend to fall out to. And so they should pick that on and that they should let themselves go and actually notice that movement to the outside. And one way to notice is to watch the, the weight-bearing sensations on the feet. So you would first try to stand kind of straight, and you might even hold yourself right straight so that you can feel the big toe and the inside of the foot, the heel and the big toe, and then you let yourself go. You let that go and watch yourself go back and to the left and watch the sensations on the bottom of the feet go out to the side. And you just got to do this many, many times and keep watching yourself and say, oh, well, I like to fall out to that side. And you've just got to witness yourself doing it. And, t and then you bring yourself back to center where you're on these four points. The, the, like on the heel, if you look at that picture on page um, nine, I think it is, of the heel. No, it's page eight. There's this little blue arrow pointing to this pivot point on the heel. There's a pivot point. And if we go too far to the outside, we're going to rock to the outside on that pivot point. But if we go straight down, we're going to rock to the inside. So this is something to play around with. And then to see that when you lift yourself, go to the outside, you say, oh, yeah, I rocked. I'm rocking on the heel. People, you know, this is... We're so poorly educated on this is that people might, I think, I don't think most people know that our heel is rounded. Uh, you know, our shoes are flat. You know, the heels on our shoes, even high heel shoes, they're flat. The bottom is flat. But our heel is not flat. Um, and that this, this um, roundness is very important because if we hit a bump on the road in the field or something and our, and, and our, and our heels were flat, we would just crack our ankles, you know, or, you know, we'd have more broken ankles than anything. So we have to be able to adapt to, to shifting shape of the ground. And, 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 but more, even more than that, that, that going straight down on this rounded heel, really, it really allows us to capture this energy. This is one of the things, is that when we fall straight down, this energy generated by our body mass is used to our advantage, just like um, in a dam with full, where falling water can, can provide the power to light up a city, our falling body mass triggers a reaction, a natural, innate, wonderful reaction that uprights us with a minimal amount of effort. Um, and this is explained in detail in some of my writings about how that happens, uh, even a little bit in this in this article here that I've written for the for this interview. Um, 
So did that answer your question about what to do if people notice the outside of their uh, shoes worn out? A beautiful set of recommendations, Michael. Now, you are located in New York City. You are yes. also a teacher of Alexander Teachers, but is, I understand that you also No, I'm not a teacher of Alexander. I'm, a, I'm not a teacher of Alexander Teachers. I, I'm just an Alexander Technique teacher. teacher. Uh, this, is okay. what I, this is what I have been certified as. Um, although this material, although the the Alexander technique is about habit and how habits interfere with our sensory awareness and how it interferes with our head neck back relationship, this material about uh, miscommitting body weight and its impact on operating, and this is not a a a, a part of. Alexander Technique uh, uh, theory or pedagogy. This is something that I developed with my Alexander Technique education and, and, and my own personal issues. Um, now, Alexander himself, F.M. Alexander, he was a uh, Shakespearean orator who was living around the tur- who was born in 1869 and was had a promising uh, a career in front of him as an actor when all of a sudden he lost his voice and nothing could be done. And so he set upon uh, a, a self-study where he tried to see what he was doing to cause his voice problems. So he was very much centered on his head and neck, which is a prime focus of Alexander Technique. My problems were more with my lower body and my legs, and uh, so I came to this uh, uh, understanding about how body mass, our our gravity-compelled body mass, is a key feature in our ability to upright. So it's a little twist on the Alexander technique. You are available to see individual clients and help them with their issues with balance and falls? Absolutely. Absolutely am. And do you also work with groups, or is it only individual? I would work with groups. I'd be happy to work with groups. Um, I have worked with groups. Um that uh, would have to be small groups because I, you know, it does require individual attention. Um, um, and I'm, I'm also in Northern New Jersey too. I also have a studio in Northern New Jersey, so um, so I'm, I'm available to, to people from the Garden State as well. Wonderful. Now, we ask for questions to be submitted, and I do have a question from Great Britain, so I'm going to read it. It's a bit long. Here it goes, and this is from Fiona. Quote, I feel when I freeze that my eyes freeze and that this is what locks me up. Also, when I rotate my neck, I feel it is the eyes that restrict the movement, especially when I rotate my head to the right, which is my affected and dominant side. My head is not atop my spine. It leans to the left, so my eyes cannot be level. In fact, I have more leans in the left-right plane than in the back-front plane. Is dyskinesia of the neck an attempt to get accurate visual information? When I'm walking, I get a sensation of my eyes not knowing what they are doing though this doesn't affect my vision in any way that I'm aware. According to neurological tests, I do have normal vision, 
I have tried being aware of my peripheral vision, and recently I've been looking at magic eye pictures, which I have found to be very relaxing. Should a discussion of the eyes be helpful, I would be very interested in it. So, Michael, any comments about what she observes in terms of her own eyes and her mobility and freezing issues? Okay. Um, well, I like the magic eye books myself, and so uh, um, that's one thing. Uh, um, I can only say that that um, if um, if her left right issues that she's calling her left right issues are clearly from my perspective that 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 that's really completely a weight commitment issue so in other words that if she's tilting over to the right or to, I'm not sure whether she's tilting over to the right or tilting over to the left but she's not able to stop it you know she's that and so i would just ask her so i don't know about the eyes in the alexander technique we encourage people to make sure that they're looking around and seeing something out in the world and not focusing inwards too much not looking in it and not seeing you know that if you look too much inward it, it, that you and you you're not really seeing out there. So we, we encourage people to keep their eyes open and to keep functioning. Um, I don't think that's her issue. Uh, uh, but uh, I would just encourage her to, to watch her weight-bearing sensations on her feet or on her sit bones when she's sitting, and that if she starts that if she starts to go to the right or go to the left, whichever direction it is, that she notices what happens down there. Because as soon as she notices, the sen if she notices those shifting sensations, she can use those sensations as leverage points to stop that movement to the right or to the side and to try to use those movements to, to sort of push her back to center. Um, and and, and uh, um, so that would really be all I can say about that. I, I don't know anything about the, how the eyes would call, cause freezing. I, I'm not saying it's not, so I just don't know. Thank you, Michael. If you've uh, called in, I see there are a number of people who've called in to the radio show today. If you'd like to be able to ask Michael Pratzola a question, just Click on the number one on your dial pad. It'll let me know you'd like to be able to ask him a question. So you've covered many fascinating insights and perspectives on your own discoveries from personal experience and your work as an Alexander teacher. My question for you is, what's the take-home for people who have been listening to this show? What do you want to make sure that they remember after they stop listening to the show? that that we're all in command of the trajectory that our body mass takes down to earth um this is something that we control and that gravity would take us straight down towards the center of the earth but we can interfere with that straight down influence we can and we do interfere with that straight down influence and that this has profound impact on our movement and so i would i would I would think that would be the idea that I want people to to stay with so that they could witness and watch themselves to see if in fact they are not if in fact 
to, to watch as they do it. So when we're sitting back against the back of a chair, we have to see that, that, that we're moving back from the hip joints and that, that although once we get to the back of a chair, we're stopped, and we're, you know, but that, that it took a backward movement to get there and that it's not straight down, that the fact that we're pressuring the back of our spines, you know, we're supposed to bear our weight on the, on the lower part of our body, on the sit bones and the feet in standing and, and on the feet in sitting. We're not supposed to be leaning back against our spines. They're, they're not, they're not, they're, they haven't evolved to be weight-bearing um, uh, bones except for when we're lying down and asleep, but we're not, we don't have to do anything. Uh, we don't have to upright when we're, when we're doing that. Uh, so, so the fact that gravity takes us straight down to the center of the earth and that this is an important ingredient in our uprighting ability and that we interfere with this by, set, by sending our body mass down on a trajectory other than straight down, particularly in sitting. And so that if people can start to notice this, um, they can possibly start to change it. Well, what a wonderful set of recommendations. My thought that I'll have to check out with you, Michael, is that clearly the recommendation that I've received from body workers to push my shoulders back is not working for me. I can do it for a couple of minutes, but as you so eloquently described, we don't keep that kind of thing up. I'd be much better off paying more attention to the pressure that I'm exerting really in the bottom of my feet, in other words, to be more mindful of where I'm really putting the weight, especially on the feet and on the inner sides of the feet. Would that be a fair idea of how I might begin to be more mindful of how I'm walking? Yes. You know that um, in my work, I've determined that while when we're uprighting, when we're keeping, and I, by uprighting, I mean having at least our head and neck self-supported as opposed to lying down or reclining where our bodies are fully supported. Uprighting is where, they're, where part, at least our head and neck are self-supported. And so I've determined that in the act of uprighting, there are three phenomena that are always present. One is the trajectory of our fall. And the trajectory of our fall begets two other aspects. One is the weight-bearing sensations on the on the part that 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 where we bear weight and it can be on our arms like if we're sitting at a table and we're leaning on our arms well they're part of our weight bearing sensations um um so there's the weight bear and the weight bearing sensation is directly related to the uh trajectory of our fall the third phenomena is what I call uprighting reactions, and, and th those would be those muscular reactions that are necessary to keep us upright, to keep at least our head and neck, neck functional given our particular weight commitment and our particular weight-bearing sensation. So we always have these things going on. We have the trajectory of our fall, we have the weight-bearing sensations, and we have these automatic reactions. In other words, if, I've, if I'm standing up and I decide just to lean back onto the back of my heels, well, these reactions that are, gonna, are automatic that are going to keep me braced, my legs braced so I don't fall on the back of my head. 
Now, these are the, this is the exact kind of thing that would be compromised in a, in a person with Parkinson's disease. If he leans too far back or too far forward, he better get his legs moving pretty quick because the brain's not going to be able, especially if they're low on dopamine at the time, the brain's not going to be able to respond that quickly. And that's why it's good to stay within this safety zone, that if you, that if you know, notice yourself, like if you can find the pivot point on your heel, and that I do recommend that people get skeletal, little skeletal models. Or, or now you can use the Internet, Google images of, of skeletal points just to see what these bones look like. And so you've you got to locate this pivot point on your heel. This is a very important point because we don't want to go to the outside and we don't want to go back. All of our power is, is in the front of the pivot point on the heel. So if we can locate that point, and we can notice when we go back behind it, this, is, this in and of itself is a big thing. Michael Pratzel, what phone number can people call to reach you? Okay, my cell phone number would be 201-906-0439. And your email address once again? It would be Michael Protzel. No spaces, no, um, no spaces. So Michael Protzel at uprighting.com. Well, Michael Protzel, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to give this fascinating presentation of how people who are confronting mobility challenges can be more attentive to where they are placing their weight and about the issues with uprighting. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And that's what's happening on, you guessed it, the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and, yes, all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. We look forward to connecting with you at our next radio show program next week. I'm Robert Rogers, your host and founder of Parkinson's Recovery. Good day. Robert.